but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Surf. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And this is our ATP post-mortem for 2017. It's, it's a little all, bit late. It's also our season finale, season three finale. Is it? Mm -hmm. Did we decide that already? I, where else are we going to get one in before? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we struggled to get this one to air, to be honest, with how busy December has been. Yeah, we are kind of in vacation mode, I would say. And I wonder, are people still in the mood to be recapping tennis? We shall see. <laughs> so what happened? When I look back at the ATP season, uh, I think kind of where's the beef? Well, before we get into that, this is episode 105, which means that we did, would have done 41 episodes this year. Wow. 32, 32, and now 41. That's prolific. <laughs> Did you know that? Did, were you paying attention to that? No, I knew we were above 36. Our 36 was our goal to reach 100. So I knew we had more than that. You want to know about the beef? We, we Well, the beef was Fedal in that yes, instance. Yes, th that, that was the meat of this year. Mm -hmm. But and where were the where was the stuffing, the potatoes, the asparagus, the squash, the, the ham even? Where was the ham? Thanksgiving is long gone. This is a bit of a tortured metaphor, but we went through an entire year, a lot of it without Stan, without Joke, a real Djokovic. He played about half the year, but was was himself only, you know, in a few short, short spots. Andy Murray quit for most of the year. What the hell was going on? Even the second tier stars sort of fell off halfway through the year, you know? Like who? Maybe Berdych is not a second-tier star anymore. He's sort of <laughs> over the hill. But he played a good match against Djokovic in Wimbledon, right? It was just... Uh, By second-tier, do you like team, the young up-and-comers? Dominic team who it seems like can only play on clay right now. Like he's just not doing anything on hard courts. Yeah, the up-and-comers, Raonic and Nishikori, who were top 10 players at the beginning of the year, just disappeared due to injury. I just struggle with the classification of the non-Big Five people. Like, are they the next gen? Are they the lost gen? Are they are they the, the up-and-comers? Mm -hmm. The second tier? Like, who makes that second tier? Right. It's pretty much just the, the top five and everybody else. <laughs> and then you can maybe say Zverev and team are the presumptive underclass. Right, like the heir is apparent, right? But like everybody else is a, a crapshoot. Everybody mm -hmm. else just kind of taking scoops of the pie every now and then. Like you can eat a whole goddamn pie, mm -hmm. but you only want one spoon, you know? Right. You know, the WTA was in, in flux as well this season, but in a very different way. Because we talked about a lot of different players stepping up to the plate and putting in great performances in a tournament here or there. But on the men's side... We had really two superstars, maybe Grigor Dimitrov, and a lot of guys just not not fulfilling their potential, I would say. Well, Zverev, you'd have to put him in that category, in the vein of, say, maybe a Svitolina, who didn't really have massive results mm -hmm. in the slams, but had 
big non-slam results. Yeah. That was Zverev. Stepped up big time in some Masters events, but hasn't shown that he can shine on the most prestigious stages in the sport yet. The other story on the men's side was the floating, roving Juan Martín del Potro. Mm -hmm. When he showed up to events, and this is something he's been doing since he came back last year, we saw it at the Olympics, made the Olympic final. He can beat anybody on any given day. And he had one last slaying moment at the U.S. Open for the year Mm -hmm. when he took out Federer. Well, and then with what some people say is the match of the year when he came back, looked from looked like he was in the infirmary almost <laughs> to beat Dominic Team. Right. Well, and Del Potro also got to the final in uh, Basel after the U.S. Open and really made a run for the finals, almost made it. So Del Potro is, I mean, one of the most exciting players in tennis, a fan favorite perennially. I think we have we've had less of that on the men's tour over the the past what five ten years these dangerous floaters aside from stan who is no longer a floater on the women's side you know at any given moment you have kvitova lurking you have sharapova ranked outside the top 80 before the summer um you have venus williams who was a dangerous floater for many years i think that speaks to the gap between the top and that second tier more than anything else Mm -hmm. because when i first started watching tennis on the men's side you always had the Peter Cordas, the Pialines, like uh, Hishami Razier. He'd always be somebody to watch. Uh, Grosjean could beat people. You know, like you had all these journeymen, so to speak, people who would made a quarterfinal here or there. But you knew that their pedigree was such that if one of the top players drew them in an early round, something could happen. Right. We don't really have those players outside of Del Potro to really threaten the top guys anymore. I agree. And having lost a big chunk of that top group, it shows what a gulf there is between the top and and the next tier and the ATP this year. And that was very disappointing for some who are not Fedal fans because the tour as a whole really suffered. There were some incredible moments watching these veterans do what they do. And no doubt tennis was played at a very high level by those two guys this year. But there there was something missing. I was totally okay with it for two reasons. Well, maybe three. The first being Rafa won a lot, which I'm totally okay with. Yeah. The second being, perhaps, well, I know for sure it exposed the ATP and the lack of depth and serious quality at the top, mm. which we've talked about ad nauseum on the show about how the ATP has been riding the coattails of the big players. Right. Riding them to the bank and essentially resting on their laurels, not having to deal with player development necessarily or dealing with controversies, attack them head on because they have the big bright stars to outshine all other conundrums that could be PR issues, Mm -hmm. right? And so that they had to deal with that this year. I mean, they will probably feel like, oh, wow, magnificent, like fed all, all year long, like, yes. Oh, yeah. But... Give us another year of this and we'll see what happens, right? The The point is their time of reckoning for not having done the work is coming. Mm-hmm. And let's be serious. The ATP is not going to be happy with Sam Querrey and Jack Sock at the top of the game. They're just not. It's not bringing eyeballs to the game outside of a few places in the United States. I think they were probably excited to crown Grigor Dimitrov at the end of the year and... 
he he made for for quite a spectacle and, and quite a story and if he can continue that i think the atp sees him as as a cash cow as a potential superstar because i mean what's not to like right his his game is aesthetically pleasing he speaks english very well which is important for the atp he's charming he's gorgeous and uh he, he seems like a like a nice enough guy he also seems earnest in doing the work the pr work mm-hmm. you know like he's up for that challenge as well he's right. not he's not a 20 year old brooding i'm over it why are you asking me that question for the fifth time mm-hmm. you know wannabe superstar yeah <laughs> He's somebody, Which I think, he's somebody who's taken his licks and is happy to be where he is. When you mention that brooding superstar, it's, it's going to take a change in Alex Verev's disposition. You had, to, I think, you had to say the name? No. Let people figure it out. <laughs> no, but to get people to really connect with him pers- in a personality way. And Do that, you know what I mean? That haircut is not going to help. Ooh. The third thing that I'm happy for with this Fedal season is it provided relief for me as a fan because there weren't in the second half of the season that many high stakes situations there weren't the, the Venus Petra matches the Venus Sloan semifinals mm. you know Rafa had a cute US Open run <laughs> to a title and it was accompanied by Kevin Anderson's run which is one of my favorite moments of the year yeah and and a popular choice among our listeners as as somebody who is when you stand somebody this is a question to the listeners Perhaps like, do you prefer to have, uh, say, if you're a Sloan fan, were you happy that she had a bloat in that U.S. Open final, or would you have liked to have gone through it, and have like a seven-six third set result? Mm. Is that something that you look forward to <laughs> with the people that you stand for, or did you appreciate a final like Rafa Kevin, where the result was never in doubt? Kevin had a few cute moments. He tried his best, never gave up, and you could see your fave just win nice yeah. and cute and go about the rest of your Sunday evening without incident that is, that is a good question for me I will take the latter every day of the week I'll take Serena's final against Dinara Safina oh my god um, against Vera Zvonareva I'll take that there is a beauty in domination and uh, you know some of us we, we need to just move on and get on with our lives is there anything else generally speaking that you want to say about the season this year by way of wrapping it up before we get, because mm-hmm. we have listener questions that we got feedback from, yeah, that we're gonna structure the rest of the episode through. But is there anything else you want to say? I would say this this very surprising season of dashed expectations leaves the next few years on the ATP tour totally unpredictable. I I I have no idea where the tour is going. I don't know how long Roger and Rafa will play and how long they will play at this level. So I think it's an exciting time for the men's tour, but also a scary time for the people who have a vested interest in promoting it. And that is, uh, maybe we should just cut and paste that for uh, a segue into our preview episode for next year. Right. (laughs) Because that opens up a lot of questions that we'll be getting into come uh, January. The first question that we asked our listeners was, outside of Federer and Nadal, we want to know what was your favorite non-Fidal slam moment of the year? Well, the most popular response, almost everybody mentioned this, at least mentioned it, was Del Potro's victory over Dominic Team in the U.S. Open round of 16. Del Potro looked terrible. He looked like he had a flu. Apparently he was running a fever. Um, the first two sets were just like, 
please get this over with. Dominic won 6-1-6-2. Didn't look like it was going to last very long. Lo and behold, Del Potro somehow won the third set 6-1. People were saying whatever pill the trainer gave him kicked in at that point. Maybe it was simply a Tylenol that reduced his fever. I don't know. This guy, it's no small wonder why he generates such a response from fans. People adore him, and he's electrifying. It, he just manages to pull energy from I don't even know where. We talked about Del Potro as kind of a, a floating, roving threat, right? And he's somebody who's won a slam. He won the 2009 US Open, beating Federer then. He's beaten all the top guys. At this point, I believe multiple times. Nobody wants to play him. When he came back this most recent time from his wrist injuries, all folks could talk about was, oh my God, what a horrible backhand. The mm. backhand is terrible, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and yet he's still out here in spite of that backhand, which I maintain is not that bad. Like, it's not. He and has a sliced backhand. He's able to use that to some effect to set up his outrageous forehand. He has a big serve. He's got the et cetera's. You know, he knows how to construct points. There's more to his game than just one backhand. Right. Right. And yet he's still, he's flourishing. And what we can expect then is based on these results in 2017, if he's able to maintain his health, he should be back in the top 10, no issue at some point in 2018. Right. I still get a sense that he is a bit frail, that every, that every ache uh, makes him a little nervous. And I think he has good reason to feel that way because of his history of risk injuries, right? He was feeling some pain or some strain in his wrist toward the end of this season and everyone got nervous and so did he, but he decided to, to play that match afterward against Federer. But the kind of fan response that he takes with him everywhere he goes, and especially in New York, that will get him through like six days out of seven. Um, Dominic, here's the thing. Dominic was up 5-3 in the fourth, 30 love, serving for it. Uh, he lost two match points, couldn't close it out against a hobbled, infirm Del Potro, and he said it didn't really stick with him. But, I mean, his results after the US Open, I think, really speak for themselves. To he be fair, his second half of 2016 was total shit as well. So, like, this has been the pattern of his career, <laughs> to play yeah. well in the first half of the season, especially on clay, and not really do much the rest mm. of the year. And the speculation has been... It's a scheduling issue that he is exhausted. He's running on fumes come July, right? Yeah, and I I understand that his game is not custom built for hard courts, that he takes too much time on his strokes, that they're too elaborate, that he needs to find a way to get more time back. I think um, it's more than that. We watched him play in Cincinnati. And and he was terrible. Yeah, he, go, he goes for too much too often. That's his biggest problem. Yes. He has all the shots. But you don't always have to be going full throttle. And to your point about not having as much time, when you're doing that, if you have somebody who's able to present you with variety in opposition to you doing the full hundred, mm -hmm. like you are going to misfire more often than not. Right. And so he needs to add some conservatism to his game, is my view. Okay. More so, I mean, fine. At this point, you want to play and make that coin as much as you want. You know, like mm -hmm. that's your decision. You do that. But this is something that you can you can change, a tangible difference you can make if you are still going to play that much tennis. He does get these questions from the media about his scheduling, and he says over and over, I love tennis. While I'm young and in shape, I want to play tennis a lot. 
I want to play as much as I can. And I just, I don't understand how there's not someone in his team who's saying, yeah, maybe this is not the best way to go. I n- certainly know his coach is not going to be that person. That's just not who he because is. Because we, we learned that, is it Gunter Bresner? Yeah. He said that they don't really pay much attention to the mental side of things. Right. Which is about as, as eye-opening a statement as you uh-huh. can get from a top player's coach. Right. That's crazy. And okay, um, look past the, the mental side. Is he physically tired? Is he? Why is he flying to Turkey the week before Wimbledon to play on grass in a tournament no one has ever heard of? It's, it, it tells me that Bresnik and the people in his camp do not understand the totality of what one's mental makeup and game and the mental side of things encompasses. Mm. Right? Because it's not just, oh, I'm feeling very emotional today. Right. You know, it has to do with stress. It has to do with fatigue, emotional, physical, has to do with family, being away from your family on the road, all these different things. And if, you know, your your coach, your mentor that you've known and uh, and who's groomed you for all this time since you're a wee lad mm. isn't fostering uh, an open environment for you to be able to look within and address those non-physical issues, then maybe that's just not a very supportive environment for Dominic. I don't know. I don't know her. <laughs> I don't know him. You seem to I'm know. not part of the team, but that's something that gives me great pause. Mm. That's maybe something to look at more so than what we've been harping on for so long with the scheduling, is right. my point. And the reason we yammer on about Dominic is because we really like him, mm-hmm. really care about him. I like his game. I think he, he could be a future star. I mm. mean, he's already a star, but there's going to take something to boost him to the next level. Misha Zverev beat Andy Murray. At the Australian Open. This was submitted by Catherine Shaw, Miss Mischief, Dr. Scholes as one of their favorite non-Fidel slam moments of the year. And while I wouldn't say it was a favorite moment, it was definitely one of the more shocking moments for me. <laughs> it sure was. Um, and even, okay, fine, Murray lost. We, we kind of presumed there would be somewhat of a letdown from his season last year. We didn't mm-hmm. think he could maintain that pace especially post-Wimbledon, Wimbledon onward. That's right. why it really kicked into gear last year, right? And I'm not going to focus on Murray with the analysis of this. I'm just happy that this happened for Misha because in the last couple of years, everything's been about Alex mm-hmm. or Sasha or whatever he goes by. You know, it's it's nice to have the older brother, who is significantly older, by the way, get some time in the spotlight as well. Yes, just don't ask Sasha about his brother. He's tired of answering your stupid questions. The burden <laughs> the burden of being the younger child, yes. right? Now, Misha also beat John Isner. That was his first shocking scalp at the, at the Australian Open. And he's turned into kind of John Isner's bugaboo, which I really enjoy, because he's not a super tall guy. He's playing a throwback game. He's rushing the net on almost every point. He's pretty tall. Is he? I Is think he? so, yeah. Well... He's not 6'10". He's a big dude. Like, he's thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other match that kept uh, kept jumping out at people... Well, two other matches, I would say. The Nadal-Dimitrov match at the Australian Open. And Nadal-Muller at Wimbledon. So, we've... I mean, I feel like we've talked about Nadal-Dimitrov quite a bit. Yes. It, so, one thing I forgot about the season was that Dimitrov won... What was it? Brisbane? Yes. He beat three top 10 players... To win Brisbane right before the Australian Open. 
and then had really that stunning performance against Nadal in Australia, and his results kind of dropped off for, for quite a while. But the Cincinnati and the World Tour Finals performance shouldn't have been a total shock considering how he started the year. Well, people began running with the running wow <laughs> people began running with the narrative again that he was a head case that he was potential unfulfilled that the start of the year was just a tease and that he's he's regressed to the to the norm right that this is who he is and i'm sure i said that probably that he's a player capable of stunning highs and stunning lows and expect both well that they were that we weren't going to get those highs mm. that he scripted afterward after right. the slump mm mm-hmm. And so that was another one of my favorite moments, Dimitrov being able to do that for himself. Now the Nadal-Muller match, again, it, it falls into this narrative of Rafa being vulnerable to big servers, big hitters, attacking players at Wimbledon. He did hit his head <laughs> on the door jam oh my God. before the match. Yes, that was he a bad sure omen. did. Rafa didn't play badly in this match. Maybe with full use of his brain, he would have found a way out of it. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> but if you recall, Mueller was just serving unreal. Oh, day. yeah. It was, there was not much that Rafa could have done. Another popular response was David Goffin. His resurgence toward the back end of the year was something that seemed to have been enjoyed by a whole lot of folks, culminating in his trying to one hand single-handedly win Davis Cup for Belgium and before that a deep run to the final at the World Tour finals mm-hmm. losing to Dimitrov but if you recall uh, Goffin after having a, a decent spring had that terrible injury unlucky injury that derailed him for a couple of months at the French Open with the tarp at the back mm-hmm. of the court mm-hmm. and so him being able to take advantage of perhaps the absence of some of the top guys maintain and and cement his place in the top 10 and then score those big results at the end of the year was was another highlight yes. for some because he had a a very promising clay season going he had that horrible call go against him against Rafa in Madrid in the semifinal there and cuz he was playing it all really tough in that first set a bad call he let it get to his head and was to- utterly derailed just could not get it together. So there seemed to be kind of this dark cloud over him when that stupid tarp thing happened at Roland Garros. But he really bounced back. He won Tokyo and Shenzhen in the fall. And like you said, almost, almost brought his team to Davis Cup victory. Susie 19 says that the DC, the Davis Cup match versus Kyrgios was one of her highlights. Mm. Jesna 3 says that anything with Goffa in it this year was her highlight. <laughs> Deanna says that Kevin Anderson's run at the U.S. Open was one of her favorite non-Fidal moments, which we talked about Kevin Anderson's run as well mm. already. He's back in the top 20, which is where I believe he, that's where he rightfully deserves to be. I well, think it's fitting of his, top his talents. Maybe top 10 is a stretch, but he definitely wasn't a, a ranked below the top 50 type player that he was making his way back from injury. Right. Miss Mischief, who goes by at Death by Tennis, says, Oh, and players like Goffin and PCB, Pablo Carreño Busta, who tennis media seem to be generally very dismissive of, maybe due to non-flashiness, defying expectations with great results while overcoming injuries and setbacks. 
which fits into the tenor of what we've been talking about, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're tacking on PCB here. Thank you to Miss Mischief. He too benefited from this vacuum toward the end of the game. Right. And a lot of the players who did step out of the shadows were not the ones who you expected or, or really should have. So there's PCB. Albert Ramos Vignolas reached um, a Masters final on clay. When you who say else? Jack Sock reached the ATP finals, uh, Sam Query had a really good year. Jack at also majors. won Paris. Right. Yeah. Won his first Masters title. Yeah. Sam Query won those two titles in Mexico. But when you say coming out of the shadows, mm. what comes to mind is Gloria Estefan. Coming out of the dark. Coming out <laughs> of the dark. This is just going to be a musical podcast. Yeah, from we're now supposed on. to, I guess, sing on every episode now. Because mm -hmm. we're so talented. You're welcome, Hurley Tennis. <laughs> <laughs> but what a, let's fly through the rest of these. Deliciano won Queen's Club, fulfilling his promise on grass, and walking the beach in very, very short shorts this past week. Thank you for that, Deliciano. All the moms, thank you as well. I'm like years removed from being on that Deliciano train. Really? Uh, yeah, it's just not. I'll let the the mother class have Deliciano. I guess I'm in the mother class then? I guess. <laughs> our friend, our shady friend Bree said, quote, Sasha being a good vulture twice. Uh, I assume she meant winning those master's titles in Montreal and Rome. But I will give a counterpoint here. She did beat Djokovic in the Rome, or he did. She. He did beat Djokovic in the Rome final. So that's not exactly a vulture, right? Is the premise isn't, of vulture... Isn't vulturing like stealing points at tournaments that have not that great draws? Yes, and uh, I would agree with you there, but I do believe that Bree is being shady when she says vulture there. Mm. We have well, to assume. I wouldn't put it past yes, her. Yes, we just have to assume. <laughs> Shapovalov... Shop, Shapovalov, Dennis, Shapstick, El Shapo. Uh, do you have any more nicknames for him? None that I can say on air. I don't think he likes Shapstick. That's from that's from Brad Gilbert. And that wouldn't be the first player to push back at a Brad Gilbert nickname. Uh, El Shapo is horrible. Is it though? I, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Uh, I feel like you're taking it too seriously. Seriously? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, if I'm a tennis player, I don't want to be associated with no drug dealer, kingpin. Okay. I mean, it's not that serious. I mean, what about El Chapo, uh, El Chapo. What about Chapeau? It's, he's Canadian, it's but that's French. But it's not E-A-U-X. So, it's a nickname. Uh, I'm just saying that there has to be... Go with Dennis the Menace. Okay, that that's cute enough. Basically, what I was getting to was Dennis was also a, a common refrain among listeners of the Body Serve. His performance in his home tournament was exciting obviously beaten it all in a match that i for some reason did suffer through uh we actually right when we moved to our new place mm, after it, our cable got set up i, I would think it was building it was on, a desk we or were something. both here <laughs> doing a whole bunch of other stuff around the house yeah. not paying much attention and they were like oh shit how did this happen how about saint denis you know like in montreal rue saint denis <laughs> Saint Denis. Yeah. So he's Saint Denis. Saint Denis. I think that's what I'm gonna call him. Okay. Now. Saint Denis. Well, he is on the path to redemption after slamming that umpire in the face. That with is the ball. true. Oh, that's good. Okay. I think that covers the, the the favorite moments. No. No. Query, man. We have to shit on Query. Oh yeah. Um, How Aaron, dare you pass who... up a moment to be bitchy and messy? 
<laughs> it's not even our messiness. A listener named Aaron, who's at Arknight underscore 12, said Query not making the Wimbledon final or U.S. Open semifinals was his highlight. Like, wow. Those that's, were... That's messy even for us. Those were near misses. Mm-hmm. I mean... He probably should have made those. Well, near misses in that it would have been awful <laughs> if he had won those tournaments. <laughs> you mean us. like we dodged a bullet? Don't forget that he already beat Rafa to win Acapulco in that final. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. And the the indelible image in a bad way of Sam Quare with that dopey smile with that big sombrero <laughs> and Rafa having to stand beside him was just not at all a good look or a good moment for well, me in 2017. It was so nice he did it twice because he <laughs> went back to Mexico after Wimbledon and won another title there. And then we got all these uh, MAGA build the wall jokes because of him Ma- doing so well <laughs> You thought I said MAGA, like... Yes, like Jamaican. Yeah. When somebody's too thin, we say that they're MAGA in Jamaica, mm-hmm. like M-A-W-G-A. So you you mean MAGA. I guess M-A-G-A. MAGA, MAGA. Make something great again. Yes. Make that former colony of Britain great again. How dare you? <laughs> Two last quick tidbits to mention. Schwartzman making the U.S. Open quarterfinals. Sylvia said that, and then we talked about PCB, but he also, don't forget, made the Roland Garros quarterfinals and the U.S. Open semis. Mm -hmm. So big results for two lower-profiled guys. It's almost as if those two should be Frenchies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, you have, they're they're like the Simons of the world now. No, but... They're occupying that role. But these guys are punching above their weight. The French have many, many talented players who are not achieving what they should which is why i said simon because mm. to my mind oh, simon yeah, okay. overachieved right and the, the, the friendship comparison is that they just have a whole bunch of guys who can do this stuff as evidenced by the depth in their davis cup team which they're which they finally won mm. this year okay so let's move on to some happenings in the men's tour that truly surprised you this year and y'all have been talking a lot so i'm gonna say mine first who's y'all like the listeners yeah Okay. <laughs> Mine is Djokovic not only losing to Dominic Team and Roland Garros, but getting bageled by Dominic Team. That was shocking. But what was even more surprising to me is him going on to Eastbourne and winning right after that. I didn't even remember that, that he oh. went on to Eastbourne and won. That was, I mean, there were so many things about Djokovic this year that surprised me. The other big one was him dumping his entire team. And I was surprised that, looking back, that that was actually this year. Because so much crazy shit has happened with him. That was also a contribution from Russell Neary, mm-hmm. Rian. For me, the biggest surprise, the thing that surprised me most, was how much I enjoyed Labor Cup. And how much it seemed to fit. And I know, and we talked about this, that it had everything to do with Fidal. And without Fidal there, it would have been far less high profile, far less successful, far less interesting. But we got to see Fedal play doubles together, mm-hmm. which was one of the highlights of my year. That was fun. It was. It was. And I think it was fun as long as you don't take it super seriously. Right? If you don't get upset that these players were spotlit and, and certain players weren't, or criticize the, the authenticity of certain matches, 
Like, it's not supposed to be a Grand Slam tournament. Sometimes you know what I mean? we don't have to extrapolate. Mm-hmm. Okay. We just have to take things as they are. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if you get a cake and you like the cake, eat the cake. Don't be like, well, the cake could have had some sprinkles on it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're still eating cake. <laughs> like, beggars can't be choosers? You, know, it, you could say that, uh-huh. I guess. I don't know. I've seen a few people use the language of disruption referring to Labor Cup. And while I don't really like the the sort of tech bro vocabulary of disruption, I, I do understand the point of basically if there's a demand that is not being met in the marketplace, create it. And that's exactly what Labor Cup did with some of the the most institutional figures in tennis, in world tennis. Davis Cup or the ATP or the ITF were not providing something that apparently a lot of people wanted. Or they didn't know they wanted it. No, but th- that's my point. Mm-hmm. They wanted it because of Fedal. Right. Like, what would the reception have been without these two? That's true, yeah. Like, I mean, you need just... you need star power. You do. But I think Davis Cup still has a lot of support and can still be exciting. But a lot of players have criticized the scheduling, the format. We've been over this before. Davis Cup is obviously not doing something that fans want. And maybe it's not supposed to. Yeah, maybe it shouldn't. This is where Labor Cup really needed the star power. Because at least Davis Cup has the history embedded in it. To start a new event like Labor Cup, the the premise of it, akin to like a President's Cup, Ryder Cup, or what have you, we've seen that precedent in sport before. So mm-hmm. there is, in theory, room for that. But if you launch it with Taylor Fritz playing a Diego Schwartzman, like... What? Who, who's gonna watch? <laughs> wow, that's so rude. And so, for the first few editions, you're gonna need that star power to keep it going. Yes. For people to come back after Fidel maybe aren't playing or headlining mm-hmm. it. And don't forget, it also was it behooved Fidel to really show up and turn out this time around because so many of the other top players weren't there either. Right. There were gonna be participation from. The likes of Stan and Kay, definitely mm-hmm. Nishikori, and I believe Stan as well. I think so, yeah. And they weren't able to show up. So not only did Fedal dominate at the slams and for the most part throughout the entire year, but they actually did the most with this too when, well, Rafa helped Federer out. Because mm. <laughs> this is Federer's tournament too, let's not yeah. forget that. It provides... A kind of fan service that no other experience in tennis can right you get these backstage like half bogus kind of strategy sessions between Federer and Nadal about how they're going to handle their doubles match you get legends of the game on the sidelines coaching quote I am doing scare quotes here you have Rafa jumping on Roger Federer's bad back celebrating their victory so all these fan moments uh, kind of outshine some of the potential issues with format. Tennis USA fan, who is Matt, says that Shapovalov's Davis Cup default was his most, you know, a result that really, truly surprised him this year. Yeah. And boy, was it well, surprising. Uh, I would wager that most of the tennis fandom did not know who Dennis was at that time. I remember watching that with my jaw on the ground. And we were actually in a we were in a bar after work, and since we're in Canada, that was actually on TV. <laughs> they were replaying that because it's, you know, it's actually some Canadian tennis news. But to see kind of 
the way he handled that and the transformation since then was was surprising because I think it would be easy for a lot of people to forget that he was the same kid who did that. Who then went on to make the semis in Montreal and then the quarterfinals at the US Open. No, I lie. He made the <laughs> the fourth round because he lost to PCB. Okay. Right? Yeah, I thought that was kind of far. Scholz also says that the, the team Mladenovic love match was one of the things that truly surprised him mm-hmm. this year. He is just trying to bait us into saying something rude and messy, and we're just not going to do it. We've already said too much from the previous we episode. Have. Another surprise, uh, again, Tennis USA fan said Brian Vahaley coming out. That was surprising to me because while we still don't have a men's tennis player who is currently active, who is out, we do have Brian Vahaley coming out as a retired player. We have for sure one who is a former player who is now a current coach who is not out publicly. Correct. Um, we shan't be naming names. No. But twofold, two things. I mean, it's it's his prerogative to come out when he wants to. Yes. Right? Agreed. That, that's his yeah. business. I'm wondering here now if part of the reason why, if it's not just for like, it's my own damn business, leave me alone. If it's mm-hmm. like the need to keep working in tennis, if that's something that's a consideration. Because... I mean, I don't want to... <laughs> it's, it's so hard to, to talk about this stuff without naming the right, person, right. right? But I know that this person has worked in Dubai before, mm. you know, the, for TV stuff. They, they're actively traveling all over the world for tennis. So, like, this is not uh, a slam dunk easy decision to make. Right. You know, it's, it's fraught. It's complex. Yeah. And this is something that the ATP has not had to reckon with. And, uh, you know, where they choose to have tournaments following the money, um, how are they going to protect players for whatever reason. The women have had to think about that. Uh, the ATP will will have to reckon with that eventually. But I, I would hope that an organization basically makes itself hospitable before it becomes a problem, creates a community to encourage players to come out mm-hmm. rather than being reactive. I would probably drop dead of a heart attack if that happened. Uh, yeah. Because everything about the ATP, they're not even reactive because they don't even react well, to when stuff happens. <laughs> so, like, to expect them to yeah. be proactive with something like this, like, come on. Mm. I mean, Andy Moore would probably have to threaten to not play a tournament, to play Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unless he, when right. he came with his list of demands and that was one of them oh, before yeah. they did anything. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the LTA would have to consult with the Queen and, oh, like, my what Lord. do we do? This last question that we asked, you have written here what infuriated you. That was not the question. It was pretty close. No. The question was, indulging your most petty and dark-sided self, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a very important preface to the question, mm-hmm. what were some of the, the results that truly pissed you off, essentially, Okay, this is 2017? This is 2017. Dark-sided and petty is implied. Okay, we're already in that mode. So I would say this question speaks to the essence of the body serve in this era. That's a nice save. But if <laughs> you're going to be using stuff that I've written, I would like it to be transcribed. No, but you did word for You word. did use the Thank word you. infuriate. Okay. I dark-sided conjures Marguerite Perrin, and that's a very <laughs> important image to be mm-hmm. conveying as well. It's like one of the greatest gif or gif. Gif. Is GIF it or wow? GIF? People are really serious about this <laughs> out here, talking about 
how we pronounce GIF or JIF. And all I have to say is like, I don't really care. <laughs> it's spelled with a G and you know, some words uh, have a soft G, some have a hard G and like, you're probably just gonna have to deal with it. And, um... But that's not a dig at our new follower who corrected our pronunciation because thank you for following us and thank you for saying those nice things. <laughs> It's really, I, we're really not mad about it. We're, but, just, uh, we're just kind of old it's as just, well. For some reason, Jif is natural to me. And like I said, I think it's because of the peanut butter. No, the issue is we are older. We are... Um, speak for yourself. Just shut your mouth. I am not Jesus's age yet. You are 32. I, I don't recall wanting to make that public. Well, it now <laughs> is because you're over here pretending like you're some spring chicken when you isn't. You know, I uh, I keep up with the Snapchats and the Instagrams. My point and is, we are from a, a generation, a different a group of peoples, mm -hmm. where, yes, correct language and usage is important to us, but that we, we did our learning, our coming of age, before this internet age and these new jargon and words became part of the parlance, right? Yes. So this stuff doesn't come naturally. We're like the grandmothers of tennis Twitter, right? You know, like when grandmas can't tweet <laughs> and don't have I to take so long to... I think that's really unfair because there are literal grandmas on tennis Twitter. Okay, you get my point. <laughs> and so like, I just don't have it in me to give a shit about the proper pronunciation of GIF or GIF. True. You know, like, True. I care about the proper pronunciation of a player's name. Like, if somebody tells me, oh, I pronounced the player's name wrong, I'm like, well, damn. You know, that I, I really want to do better there. Yeah, because some of you youngins, do you know how to use a rotary telephone? No, I bet <laughs> you don't. Do you know how to use a fax machine? Well, I do. Do you know what a Zach Morris phone is? <laughs> <laughs> do you know how to use a typewriter? <laughs> I do. Do you know how you would erase a letter on a typewriter after you... You typed mm, the no, wrong letter. I don't. You, you just, you really you just don't? like pound on it so it just covers up the letter, right? <laughs> no, there's a specific like uh, thing. You go line it up oh, and there's really? a key that you... Boom. Okay. Do you know how to use... Do you remember those paper cutters from school? Yeah. With like the machete? Well, I Ma say machete. Mach you, say, you say machete. <laughs> I say cutlass, really. <laughs> on the side of it, you just go down and it was like yes. damn near impossible to get a perfect line. Or you just cut like a blade or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. How did we start talking about that? Oh, I something about it. Oh, the Marguerite Perrin. Oh, dark-sided. Yes. Yeah. That, that's a gift. It's a gift to all of us. <laughs> yeah, look it up. It's from Wife Swap. It's amazing. So what infuriated you all, our loyal listeners? A lot of people. We, we happen to attract Nadal fans. So a lot of people were angered by the Australian Open final. Rafa having been up a break in the fifth set and losing to Roger, I know that really pissed me off. All the Fidel matches from Shannon Clark mm -hmm. pissed her off. Yep, uh, I'm on board with that as well. The Wimbledon final pissed folks off too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, are you sensing a pattern here? That whenever Roger won, <laughs> this is where the pettiness and the dark-sidedness mm -hmm. comes in because you just, some folks... Some rightly so, because that's how you feel. You sh should embrace those feelings. Yeah. You just can't be happy for him. Right. I would like to do some analytics on like what percentage of our listener base is a Roger fan, and what percentage is Rafa, and uh, how many are neither. 
And there's some who are both. That's true. I'm pretty sure uh, Ryan, or is it Ryan? I don't know. Maybe we should have asked yes. beforehand. <laughs> Russell Neary, I'm pretty sure that um, they're a Fidel fan together. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's like being a Serena Pova fan. You should be in arbitration. You should be a judge. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are just so even keeled. <laughs> no, I mean... I think we're clear that we are Rafa fans, but we have much, much respect for Roger Federer and can enjoy him. Yeah. Which is not what you would call fans. I'm pretty sure if you go back and check the receipts from season one of The Body Serve, it would not read or listen like it did in 2017. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've evolved on Federer. Less so his fans. Yeah, yeah. But a lot on (laughs) Federer. (laughs) Not any of you, obviously. (laughs) Anything the American men won made a lot of you all upset. Yeah. Uh, minus Francis TFO and Steve Johnson. That's from at Fat Nancy, and that's a PH for, for all of you snickering. Steve Johnson's plight this year was, was really affecting. It was really emotional. His dad passed away in May, and he was a big figure in California tennis. He was a coach for many years and led Steve through his tennis career. And he played Roland Garros... Uh, less than three weeks after his dad died. That match against Borna Cioric was was really heartwarming, also just heartbreaking for Steve. So it was hard to lump him into that that group of garbage can American men. Same with Francis TFO and Christopher Eubanks. Avid tennis fan says that the Harrison Venus Roland Garros doubles title was infuriating. <laughs> and I presume that that had yeah. to do with Ryan Harrison's triumph that Mm -hmm. day and kudos to ryan because he went on to become one of the one half of one of the top doubles teams on the entire year made the doubles uh lineup in london at the o2 yeah Um, that's yeah that was that's um, enough said about that that was not uh one of our favorite moments of the year put it that way andy and novak's losses at the australian open infuriated a lot of you that terrible line call that we talked about that went against golfin and derailed his tournament in Madrid was a, a terrible moment. And I guess, you know, people make mistakes. But that was a, a pretty consequential one. You have here written at the end of this segment, this sort of segues into men are trash. Mm-hmm. So this next segment is is kind of part and parcel of the previous one. It's basically... And it's literally called Men Are Trash. <laughs> Why are you trying to steal my thunder here? The, the idea for this segment was my idea. That's true. You wrote Men, men Are Trash. That's, so You can have that. These are examples in which the ATP and men's tennis players stepped in it, a.k.a. Men Are Trash. And the disclaimer is that, yes, we are men, and we're mostly trash, too. Uh, so, <laughs> so in case, you know, anyone was thinking that we were being hypocritical or setting ourselves aside from men... This is not the hashtag not all men show. Generally, men are not uh, basically held to the the same level that women are professionally. Correct? Privately, socially, mm-hmm. sexually, at the, at the club, at the grocery store, right, in the classroom. <laughs> so we just wanted to list off a few of the men who were terrible this year and beseech them to do better next year. Ilya Nastasi. Is does is there any hope for him? No. So I'm not beseeching him to be better. I'm just beseeching him to go away and be quiet. 
John McEnroe with his Serena Williams bullshit again Ugh. this year. And I actually had to go back and listen um, to one of a part of one of our episodes from earlier in the year because I forgot about this. He was going off about Nikirios again, mm-hmm. talking about how you know he needs to get his head together, he has to decide whether he wants to play this game, blah 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 blah, blah. and that prompted a whole chorus of people to say, "Wow, maybe John McEnroe should be Nick's coach." Like, what? How did you get there from that? For me, I think the John McEnroe example brings up something about men's sports and just how men relate to each other that I really don't like, that I never liked as a kid. I don't see that sort of kind of tough love being highly critical of someone publicly as supportive, as uh, just because that person is an expert in their field. In this case, because John McEnroe is a legend and was highly successful in the way that he chose to approach the game, which is certainly not everyone's approach to the game. Just because those things are true doesn't mean that that's the kind of support system that Nick Kyrgios needs. Or anyone else, for that matter. Max Eisenbud. Oh, man. Max Eisenbud, I think it's just a case of someone who cannot keep his mouth shut. And I think people who know him, Lindsay Davenport for one, sort of chuckle at his ridiculous proclamations. We saw them sitting together at the U.S. Open, right? Mm -hmm. And you could see her literally on TV looking at him and sort of rolling her eyes many times. Like, he's an amusing uh, diversion. But specifically, set aside the Sharapova business Mm. that was from last year. Set aside all that other stuff. This is specifically for his clapback at Wozniacki and Radwanska this year. Essentially, well, not essentially, he did call them journeymen. Yes. Tennis players. And that... (laughs) They were, it was just crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. Dan Evans, and not not for his ban, but for all the stuff he was saying about Aliage Bedene for that years, last year? That continued into this year. Oh, it did? Before okay. the cocaine thing. And we recently found out that Bedene is going to be playing uh, for the Olympics in Slovenia. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this. This recently came out. And a lot of the British press and, you know, Twitter accounts or whatever are saying, oh, framing it as if he's a flip-flopper and he's deciding to go back and play for Slovenia because whatever, he doesn't care about his country, blah, blah, blah. Glossing over the fact that he tried for nine years to play for Great Britain and the ITF wouldn't allow it. So he wants to go play for the Olympics. It's the damn Olympics, man. Right. It's important to people. You get one shot every four years. John Isner, who is out here on these Twitter streets liking all manner of heinous shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bad Toss has been highlighting that all year. So thank you to her for doing the work. Thank you for your service. Uh Beating the drama of tax reform. He will watch his fellow citizens suffer all manner of indignities as long as the tax system is reformed. And I mean, these people are really upset the tax code has a lot of pages. They want less pages. Okay? Did you see Donald Trump stand in front of a whole, basically, pillars of paper? It it was the stupidest PR stunt I've ever seen. Like, Americans are so anti-intellectual that they think paper with words on it is the problem with our country. That there are too many pages. (laughs) I just recall a conversation with someone Mm. uh, in the tennis world while I was 
on site, I want to say in Cincinnati or Charleston this year. Mm. One of the two. And they were told, I hope I'm recalling this right. I believe Courtney Nguyen tweeted about this around the time of the election that something that was really personally offensive to her was in the lead up to the election, how many of the American players when they were asked about it privately, you know, because she is, after all, the WTA insider. Like, she does have access Mm. to a lot of the players. But she was told that so many of these players can forego and and overlook so much of the the concerns that minorities would have or social issues leading into the election because of the economic incentives with respect specifically to taxes. Oh, yeah. And isn't that obvious? No, I didn't realize at the time that mm. it's something that would be so openly owned, mm-hmm. you know? And um, at the time of the election, Courtney was going through it on Twitter. Right, so, like, right. she was quite emotional in the way she was tweeting about it. And the, the gist of it, and a lot of people in response to that were just like, well, fuck that. <laughs> you know, like, so um, over it. I mean, that's clearly also a way to disown how destructive your politics are, mm. is to blame it all on the economy. As if your economic positions aren't destructive in and of themselves. But that's not what this is it's about. It's a bit tangential. If there are other people who should have made this Men Are Trash segment, please let us know. We are not above piling on. We'll pile on as much as we can. <laughs> Make a list, post it, you know, list the transgressions, let us know. By no means do we expect this list to have been exhaustive or comprehensive. <laughs> Impossible. But let us not forget, and let us... End and this up. was from 2017, because we know yeah. the list could be endless oh, yeah. if we take into consideration previous years. I mean, and Fabio Fognini has just been, like, taken out of contention. He, he's, like, the head of his own list. Shit, we forgot to mention him. He's absolutely <laughs> on the list. Yeah. What did he even do? What, I, who can keep a track of what he did? Oh, the, the umpire! Yeah. That was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fognini is right... I mean, he's at home. At the top of the list. Oh, yeah. But let us not forget the, the players who make us happy to share a chromosome. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov is a super nice guy. Rafa Nadal, he's a good sport. He seems to welcome the attention from men. <laughs> <laughs> Roberto Bautista Agut, again, is... The lone you know, voice. Really. Uh, supporting or at least espousing support mm-hmm. for LGBT issues in sport. If you recall, he wore the rainbow colors on his shoe, on his sneaker at one point. And he he has tweeted about the uh, the Pride Parade. And Sir Andrew Baron Murray, who has taken a second job as a professional troll on mm-hmm. Twitter, clapping back at Trump, clapping back at reporters when they don't give enough credit to women or default to men. <laughs> Andy is just, uh, is just the straight man we need right now. We're going to finish up with recapping the award winners and uh the atp award yeah the atp award winners and general chit chat about that apparently player of the year is rafa mm-hmm. i didn't realize that the atp just awarded the year a number one player of the year do they well that's what the wikipedia page says oh <laughs> it's just automatic <laughs> okay well on the atp awards side on their website on the award section it just says world number one mm-hmm. and he got the trophy for that year end and then on Wikipedia, it says something about player of the year. So maybe that's like a, a Nadal fan sneaking in oh, there and okay. making that edit. I do understand mm-hmm. that Wikipedia is not 
like it's a, not peer-reviewed and peer-reviewed <laughs> resource here i do have a master's degree <laughs> but i'm just saying that that's what i use for the wta recap and so then i was like what well, i didn't hear anything about that mm. nadal player of the year and in any case we we've talked about that we don't think that there is a player of the year that it should be joined at least and that in my mind if we are oh we well, we didn't agree on that you i thought we did no no, I think that Rafa has to get it because Roger set out the entire clay season. Oh. I think there's a clear player of the year in my mind. Okay. You do you. <laughs> we're, we're allowed to disagree. Uh, but imagine. But my point here, which is what I was setting up a little bit of a joke here, which you've just stymied mm-hmm. the momentum. momentum. <laughs> if there is to be a tiebreaker, it goes to Rafa's hairline which has been the low-key MVP of 2017. Coming from where he was to where he is now, mm. that transplant has worked <laughs> wonders. Well, I mean, it's no LeBron hairline. I guess when you have LeBron money, you can get a real good hairline. Rafa does still have kind of that bald patch in the back. Listen, I said <laughs> from where we're coming. Okay, so you mean like most improved hairline? I'm saying it's the MVP of the mm. year. Okay. We were like months away from Rafa being bald. Yeah. <laughs> well, Roger and Andy, but got to watch out because that, that baldness is coming for them too. And Tommy Haas. Ooh, when I Oof. saw him this year. Yeah. Lord, that was mean. That was dark-sided. <laughs> Federer won the most titles with seven. Rafa made the most finals with 10. Rafa led the prize money list, $15.8 million. Mm doubles player of the year which again is just like the top team it seems yeah based on what i saw lukas kubat and then marcelo Melo, most improved player saint denis is so, the, <laughs> the most improved player. chapstick which sure that's that's an uncontroversial pick i think saint denis is also the star of tomorrow uh, what what like you can't give that to someone else wouldn't it make more sense to give dennis star of tomorrow which definitely sounds like a star search thing or like a pageant <laughs> award. Um, most improved you could give to PCB, you give to Sam Query, um, Jack Sock. No, but real, like yeah, yeah. David Golfant even. Yeah, but still. Having, even though he'd been in the top 10 before. Sandani came like hundreds of places out of the blue. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense to give him both, in my opinion. Look, they were handing this out way across the globe. And he was willing to fly in to pick up the awards. Okay, I think that. Had oh, a lot so to do it's with like well. the Billboard Music Awards, or the, I the, guess. the People's Choice Awards. They'll give it to you if you show up. And Federer is comeback player of the year. Mm, yeah, that is terrible, in my opinion. That is such a waste of an award. Comeback because he sat out half the year last year from injury. No, Mm-mm. it's really a damn shame. Uh, what? Yeah, he chose to sit out the year. He was injured. No, he chose to sit out longer than he had to to convalesce. Yeah, but he, which was his right. And then he no, but part dis- of that part he didn't play for like three months out of the season. I don't know how you're going to give him comeback play of the year. I think that was a terrible decision. No, I I think you're misremembering in terms of like the extent of that injury. And the course of recuperation and what mm. was entailed in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the idea here is that he was not thought to be a slam winner again previously. Okay. I don't know. I just don't think it's as egregious as you make it out to be. Mm. Who would you have in his stead then? 
I don't know. It's not Del Potro. He got come back the year before. Now, what's really egregious is the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. Yeah, that's which is utter shit. What is the purpose of the award? Why should one player win it eleven times? It's ridiculous. Like, it has no meaning. Why not highlight people who have had like meaningful instances on the court where they gave an opponent a point or I don't know helped out a ball kid who fell down or something like that you know and and continued that nice behavior throughout the year I think what's being conflated here though is ambassador of the year do you know mm. like Federer's tennis ambassador of the year right most more so than sportsman necessarily it's just it's It's like the the meaning of sportsmanship Mm -hmm. is too muddied and if i'm federer i'm doing an oprah i'm like i've won this emmy so many times (laughs) i'm gonna take my name out of the running you know what ellen you have exactly and now they're both conglomerates and they Mm -hmm. hang out all the time now it's to me it's like of course roger federer is a good sportsman i'm not definitely not arguing that but what is the purpose of the award if it's not to honor like a real example of sportsmanship in tennis? I'm like, Do you what, know what I mean? What incentive like, is there to all the other players to show good sportsmanship <laughs> if they know at the end of the year they don't stand a chance to win this I award? Mean, that could be said about all of these awards. <laughs> Again, my position on ATP and WTA awards is like the the honors and the accolades in sport is what you achieve on the field, on the court. It's what you actually do in the sport. So these awards are superfluous, in my opinion. So if you have a more... Um, Democratic? No. So if you have an award that is more intangible, like sportsmanship, it does. It should honor something material. It should, be, it should honor something that you can look back and say, oh, yeah, he did that, rather than... Rather, rather than a numbers award. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That brings us to the end of episode 105 and season three of The Body Serve. Damn. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this little time off. Who knows? We'll be back next week, maybe. If yeah. something comes up. Maybe the week after Christmas. Who knows? We haven't done a TV episode this year, have we? I, I don't think I so. I can't recall. So We've done two in history. Maybe we'll do that. Perhaps. I'm not committing <laughs> to that. Thanks for all the support throughout the year. Thank you to all the new listeners. We've heard from a few of you recently. Chike, thank you so much for your kind words recently. Yeah. That was wonderful. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your ma and your pa about the body serve. <laughs> your cousins. Cousins. There's no T in cousin. <laughs> your kin. <laughs> As always, I am Jonathan. My name has not changed. Uh, <laughs> I am on Twitter As at always. tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. You can support The Body Serve by giving us a review on iTunes and also, as we mentioned, telling your friends. Uh, the show is also on Twitter at The Body Serve, the same on Instagram. And we look forward to hearing from you. Give us your feedback about the episode. Tell us your favorite moments from the year. Just give us feedback in general. <laughs> we like to hear from mm. you. And see you again for season four. Till next time. <laughs>